Good evening, workshoppers. It's uh, it's been a while, hasn't it? Gosh, man, I I can't believe it's only even been two weeks. It feels like forever for me. But uh, I'd like to welcome you all into the uh, the new episode, episode two sixteen. We're getting up there. It's beta season, and uh, you know, shouldn't be a surprise. But we just finished up. The Diablo 2 closed beta with the open beta going through coming up. So this episode is kind of in a uh, a beta testing sandwich, as it were. But uh, we got some things we got some things to discuss. You know, the, not to directly quote the title of the last episode, but we've uh, we've gotten this episode. Obviously, there are still some new developments coming from the the Blizzard lawsuit. I I don't care if you uh, think that I'm being preachy. I'm still going to talk about it. Um, patch uh, 2.7.1, uh, you know, the most recent season is going through and still shaping up to be one of the most popular seasons of Diablo 3 ever. Of course, we've got a lot of learnings and findings from the Diablo 2 Resurrected beta this past weekend. And we have a little bit of a surprise trivia coming out uh, from a former producer of the Diablo 3 franchise. Uh, but yeah, uh, to start things off, of course, I'd like to go through and um, uh, toot my own horn for a little bit uh, with uh, the weeks in gaming. Don't always uh, have a chance to go and talk about uh, this one in the show openings. But uh, as I've been talking about in the last couple of episodes, I've been preparing for a big uh, Warhammer Age of Sigmar tournament that was happening up in Orlando uh, this past weekend. And while that did prevent me from actually participating in the, the D2 Resurrected beta, at least the closed section of the beta, uh, I had a blast. It was a, a lot of fun. Um, if you go through and you check my Twitter, I've got some pictures of some of the games, you know, pictures of my army and everything. Uh, you know, I won't, uh, I won't go through and take up too much time, you know, since it's, uh, it's not entirely Diablo related. But I was at least appreciative that I, I had named my army list, you know, Traggle's Vengeance, you know, because, you know, Traggle, Giant, Dragon, and then Diablo 3, you know, it's the, the blood set is the Traggle set. And then um, my army was themed around a whole bunch of Blood Knights, where in an older edition of Warhammer, they were the Blood Dragons or the Blood Dragon clan of vampires. And so I thought that it would be kind of cool to just kind of like throw that throw that in there. It's a whole bunch of dragons and blood and vampires and all this other type of stuff. So why not? It's thematic, right? Traggle's Vengeance. It's all good. Set. Done. I knew it was going to be a good weekend Friday night when I go through to check in. And I hand in my list uh, to the uh, the TO and the, the judge is just going through looking at it. It's like, oh, that's pretty cool. It's a Diablo reference. And it's just like... Yes, like just started, and uh, and it's already it's already done, you know, and of course you know I I had quite a few uh, Diablo conversations over the weekend. I I was going through, I was repping uh, Friday and Saturday. I was wearing my Diablo shirts, but to try and bring myself some good luck on Sunday, I went and you know put on a Nagash my AOS shirt and. Then I tanked. I guess I should have, I should have just left the Diablo shirts on, you know, for the, uh, the the Queen Mother to go through and be watching over me. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great great fun weekend. My goal was to go three and two. You know, it was only five games, so you can't go complete 50-50. And I figured that I at least I was a good enough player that I could get above the fifty percent uh, statistical hump, right? 
so I managed to I managed to go three and two. I came in seventeenth out of I believe it was a sixty-two player event. Uh, my buddy Matt that went up with me, he actually went four and one. He just missed the top eight, which is like one of those big. Um, in at least in Warhammer communities and tournaments, I guess it's not even just like Warhammer and such. Like the top eight is always like that big, that big finisher. So he came in, he literally came in ninth, um, just because he missed a, a couple of points for determining like tiebreakers and such. But definitely big props to him. Uh, I'm really glad that he managed to go through four and one. Uh, I just. I, I went undefeated day one, and then day two I, I teched in or I matched into my uh, two weakest matchups, a whole bunch of like shooting and magic domination. And I I should just start a Warhammer podcast because I want to talk about my list building and my thought process behind it. But I'm sure I'm already losing the uh, you know I'm already losing watchers. You know don't don't hit unsubscribe yet. I will talk about Diablo. I promise. But it was it was still a lot of fun, um, even though coming in seventeenth. I still managed uh, to go through and grab uh, Best and Grand Alliance Death. I always play Death Armies. Praise be to Nagash. Undeath is my theme. I, I enjoy necromancers both in Diablo and, well, everywhere, anywhere. Uh, so I'm glad that I went through and managed that, though it was only because the person that ended up winning the tournament was also playing a Death Army. Um, and they don't give out double prizes. So because he was already winning Best General... Um, they then gave the, you know, best in death to uh, the, the next person, which happened to be me. Also, the weekend I won a trivia contest and got like a uh, out-of-print collector's book signed by the author, which while I'm not the biggest 40K fan, uh, had some people quite envious on, uh, on the Twitterverse on that one. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. And I, I, I crushed that trivia contest, by the way. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, that's, that, that kind of is going to go through and sum up, uh, all of that. So I'll stop boring you with the Warhammer news and I'll just start another podcast someday about that. Uh, and well, let's go through and talk about some Diablo stuff. Um, which of course is the big topic still surrounding Blizzard in all of their games is the, uh, lawsuit, which is going to be, you know, it's going to be going on for a while, uh, the uh you know obviously that there is still a lot of um hurt and frustration you know that, that's going along with this there's news stories that are coming out all the time as people are you know uh feeling comfortable enough or feeling as if their their voice or their thoughts might be heard uh that are going through and sharing stories of um discrimination or abuse that they might have suffered while at the company and you know we haven't even gotten to court yet to go through and have the the prosecution go and start laying down claims and things of that nature. So it's there's we're still in, you know, for a, a long and bumpy ride. Not to mention, you know, the the employees themselves had put together a short list of demands that they want from uh Activision Blizzard and they've not even been acknowledged yet. So, you know, there's there's that. But the, the thing that's going to go through and impact the Diablo community directly is uh, back on August 11th, uh, two notable people in the uh, Diablo development team were let go from the company. Uh, Jesse McCree, as well as former game director Louis Bariga, um, are both no longer with Blizzard. While, you know, it could just be, oh, they're stepping away or they've left, the 
timing surrounding all of it, of course, is uh, extremely suspect. Uh, you know, no no official comments from them themselves, and all that Blizzard will say is that they are no longer with the company. Um, and we can't make any direct assertions as opposed as whether this is related to it, but it's a fair guess that it probably has something to do with it. Especially when you look at some of the other people that were, were let go on that same day, were all involved in the now infamous Cosby Suite photo. Uh, you know, along with the, you know, uh, you know, some other uh, big names from Blizzard's former past that now have been, you know, that are named in the, the, the lawsuit itself as being just key players in this kind of, you know, frat boy culture and a, a culture of harassment uh, that was going through and, you know, just infesting Blizzard for God knows how long. Um, but yeah. Uh, you know, we, we had seen at least uh, Jesse McCree in one of those photos and, you know, as well as like some screenshots from some chats and things that he was in that, you know, might not be the uh, the best public image that you would want out there if you're in a uh, leadership or a, you know, lead designer position for the game. And so it's not, not too terribly surprising to see Blizzard and him go through in part ways. Um, you know, though there is, of course, always the side effect. You, of just like, is this Blizzard just doing damage control? You know, are they just trying to save some face and not really implement or make any changes, you know, inside the company? Uh, you know, don't know. We uh, we might never know. Who who knows? But though we we do hope that this is just like first steps and that actual change is going to go through and come from all of this while we wait and see. The the. The big one, of course, is just there were no, at least previous allegations that were out there that I had seen about, you know, Luis in, uh, but, you know, his departure is, you know, extremely poorly timed. Uh, so you have to call into question, was this related? And it, it's like, well, you know, Occam's Razor, yeah, probably was. And that that's, you know, kind of, kind of shitty to learn. I don't really, and I mean that as kind of shitty, not in the aspect of, oh no, Diablo 4 doesn't have a games director, oh, the game is going to get delayed or anything like that. It's just that, you know, it's someone that even though I didn't know him personally, I've never uh, interviewed him or anything like that, he seemed to have um, his finger on the pulse of what made Diablo Diablo. And so seeing someone like that end up being uh, potentially someone that was like, you know, uh, an abuser or you know was uh, taking advantage of his role or power within the company it that kind of sucks to learn someone that you at least respected uh, ends up being maybe not so great of a person and then also to comment on just you know going through and losing two you know senior lead positions uh, for Diablo 4 the the game is made by a team you know, sure, people in the lead position or the game director are going to have a, a bit more say in the direction that the game goes, but ultimately the, the gameplay, the aesthetics and things like that are handled by many, many people. These are things that are developed, uh, you know, by multiple artists, teams of artists, designers, programmers, you know, sound effects engineers, VFX artists, all these other types of stuff. That there's no one person that's going to be directly responsible for like all of the great games 
uh, for a development team the size of Diablo 4. So it's definitely not a sky is falling moment. And when you come to it's it's interesting because while you know, like obviously a games director position is important um, for going through and wrangling and corralling very large teams, it large teams that as long as they're put together well can operate without a games director. Individual team leads as well as producers. Uh, if they're if they have previously been you know fully uh, you know fully empowered with which to do their jobs are still going to be you know controlling direction managing timelines budgets and things like that without the need of a game director whereas you know in these uh, instances probably any of those decisions that would require the game director's approval or like a final say where multiple teams are having an argument over how something should be handled or a direction that like the the story might go or visual effects or something like that probably is just going to go you know one more step up the chain which would be rod ferguson in order to make any of those decisions that they can't come to a consensus between the individual team leads you know or the the producers and such so i mean Sure, it might cause uh, might cause some delays, like in a, a long term type scenario. But any projects that are actively being worked on or troubleshooted or anything like that are still going to be carrying on. You know, it's it's not that big of a delay in day to day things. I um, I used this example before when I was having discussion you know, with a, another friend, where like if one of the theaters that I worked at, if the GM were to walk out the door tomorrow you know what impact will that have the management team is going to be a lot more stressed because all of a sudden they've got a lot more responsibilities put on their shoulders but the doors are going to open every morning the movies are still going to play we're still going to make popcorn and we're still going to take care of people you know so the day-to-day -day operations is going to more or less stay the same and if there's something really big such as me requiring approval uh for a, a purchase or a repair I can just take that one step up and go to our regional director in order to get an answer for those questions that I might normally defer to the GM. But some other things such as like hiring another manager or hiring a kitchen manager or something along those lines, that will probably get held off until the GM position is filled. But, you know, those are things that might cause some problems or complications a little bit further down, uh, down the road in addition to just having a, a bit higher workload for certain individuals within the company, but the the business still goes. You know, we we, we learn and improvise, right? So that that was just that was just my take on it. Uh, that the you know the the show will continue, the game will continue being developed, and you've got a whole group of people that are invested in this current direction that Diablo Four is going, and you know who knows maybe. Uh, you know, maybe another voice that goes through and, you know, rises up to fill those positions might have an even better understanding of Diablo or might be able to go through and take the game, you know, in a in a direction that's not, you know, completely copying Diablo 2. It adds a little bit of, um, you know, flair to it, which we just, we haven't seen. Obviously, they've just been playing it safe with Diablo 4. They've been trying to hearken it back to Diablo 2 and make all those references directly back to D2 because that, that, you know, there's a, there's a very vocal portion of the community that that's what they want. <laughs> they want Diablo 2.5. And, uh, you know, and so that's kind of like the, the angle that they're catering to. They, they, 
see all the the chatter and the discourse that goes on on reddit and forums and such about diablo 3 uh and people's displeasures with it and they're trying to circumvent those conversations when talking about d4 but we haven't had an opportunity to really play the game besides one 30 minute demo from a couple years ago to see how it's uh shaping up how the skills work or you know obviously to me how the story is going to play out we will uh we will we will wait we'll we'll wait and see right but you know uh beyond that obviously there's still a lot of conversations going on on twitter uh, a lot of it has been you know expanding out beyond just blizzard you know riot is going through the same exact lawsuit from the state of california that blizzard is right now uh there's still um current you know legal issues that have been going on over on uh, ubisoft as well as there have been employee uh employee movements going on you know on that side as well and you know there's been a lot of discussions about talk of unionization and such which you know it it just it obviously seems needed uh, especially with uh today you know the conversation and like the the game dev the game dev like twitter first was about the value of qa and you had some uh really strange conversations going on from you know like i think uh, what was it like uh david gaffey who was like one of the uh, lead uh lead creators for god of war was talking about qa absolutely needed there's not a single game studio that would tell you that that qa is optional it's a very core integral part of the company that's critical to the game development process but the actual qa testers themselves ah they're worthless get rid of them they're replaceable we can do without you know you're there's someone else standing in line to go through and take your job like how how could you, you know, just come so close to actually getting it and then, like, completely miss the point of the conversations that are going on? You know, you can't say that QA is valued when you don't value QA, right? Right? Does does that... Am I the only one, like, lost on that, that train of thought? I, I know I'm not because, you know, most of it was just, like, that's a terrible take, dude, but he just did not back down on that one. It just, you know, God, that's just bad. And, the, you know, this is someone that was that was game director for multiple huge, like, titles. And I guess now he does, like, uh, YouTube game reviews or something like that. I don't know. But, yeah, there's, there's obviously a lot of, you know, broken things in the game development industry because it was, you know, it's so young. You know, game dev... Uh, kind of like exploded in the 90s early 2000s and it's having another kind of like revival now there's all this investment capital you've seen all these big names that have been leaving blizzard over the past couple of years because big you know either domestic or foreign investors have been, just been coming in and it's like hey you three guys we'll give you boatloads of cash to go and make a game all right okay and well that's what's been happening uh in but you know that that was something similar that happened like in the 90s 2000s when gaming like really really started to become mainstream and taking off where it was just you know wild west and people were going through jumping in and making games because they grew up playing and enjoying games and it was that passion that fueled many early companies like look at blizzard itself silicon and synapse it was it was a passion for games that got them all together in order to go and you know start a game studio uh, but that also has led to uh, many people following their passion and making sacrifices for it 
such as, you know, going through and working for a company in Irvine making $12 an hour, which uh, is not really possible unless you have like four roommates. You know, it, it's one of those things that they're 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 getting preyed upon and being paid um, really shit wages, especially for the area that like the the company is situated in. Like Irvine is an extremely expensive place, or you're taking like a two hour commute, and still it's still California, so the 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 prices to live are still insane. You know, and you just have seen stories throughout this whole thing. I mean, it, these stories go back a while, but just like, you know, going through and the only way that you're able to afford anything uh, is the fact that you're working 60 hour shifts, you know, because of overtime, you know, like these, like this kind of like mandated six days a week, 14 hour days, overtime, you know, and, and like just ridiculous stories like that is the only way that you're even paying the bills. So you're almost thankful for the overtime, even though it's killing you. Uh, and, you know, obviously these types of uh, practices, because back in, you know, you know, back in 2003, when they're making when Blizzard's making World of Warcraft, yeah, people wanted to ship the game. They were happy to go through and maybe not happy, but, you know, they were they were passionate enough to want to go and work those shifts to get the game done. And now it's kind of like the company standard where you know, you're required to work those hours because you're a contract laborer. And if you actually want to extend your contract past that six months and become a full-time employee, well, you got to start clocking those 12 hour days, man. You don't, if you're not, if you're not pulling 60 hours and the rest of the team is doing 65, well, obviously it looks like we don't want to renew your contract because yeah, they're, there is a, a whole line of people just coming fresh out of college that are just want to do anything to gain the prestige of working at Blizzard or Riot or wherever. And those people are having their passions taken advantage of. And really the only way to get around those predatory practices is, well, unionization. Obviously, there, there are, you don't have to tell me. You, don't, you can put away the keyboard. Obviously that there's not, unions aren't all 100% glitz and glamour. There's problems with unions, but on unions still, from the most part, benefit the employees rather than the company. And not having a union is just solely benefiting the company and hoping that they will go through and give policies that will help benefit the employees as opposed to having a collective governing that will force them to begin to listen to the employees. And, yep, yep. I'm I'm sorry. This one this one went a little bit longer than I intended, but it's just things that I'm not afraid of going through and talking about. You know, the Activision Blizzard lawsuit, the Blizzard lawsuit. Um, and yeah, if uh, new information and stuff like that goes through, comes up, expect it to be front and center at the start of every single one of the podcasts because, well, that's where it deserves to be. Because if we like these games and we want to continue playing great games, I, for one, want to make sure that the people that are making those games are treated well. Because if they're being treated well, then that's going to make a better game, right? Anyways. So, uh, while not really anything new to report on in Diablo 3, you know, the the season... Ethereals are it, man. Ethereals are it. 
uh, feedback from high and low, just going through and like popping in and watching, you know, like Le Leviathan or Muggle Mama streams and such, people are just digging ethereal items. Like it has actually made people like, like, you know, it's like when it, it's even better than when primals were first implemented. You see that that teal green beam pop up, and you're like, ooh, that you know that that could be good. You know, you know, I got I got the legendary property that I wanted. You know, but maybe this one rolled just like slightly more damage because not all the stats are maxed, so you can still find a little bit of an upgrade, or, or maybe it will have an even better passive on it, even though I've got the one with the legendary that I want. So there, there's definitely a lot out there that uh, is, is making the item hunt interesting. And it, it's we're talking about things that if you have like a really good one, you're still interested in finding one because of tiny little upgrades. It's not something that is like, oh, I really need this to define my build. Every one of them could potentially have some sort of legendary or passive combination that's like, yeah, you know what? You know what? I want to try an Italia's Rapid Fire build. Not that I do, but just as an example. But, you know, it, it's something that is... Uh, that never felt quite right in Diablo 3 compared to Diablo 2. Now, Diablo 3's item hunt, you know, was still... Uh, had many, you know, uh, great times, especially after Reaper of Souls when they actually increased the drop rates and you had some really cool uh, build-defining legendaries that right before sets were the end-all be-all. And uh, we're, we're, I feel as if we're kind of getting back a little bit to that with the ethereals. And some of the, the more common feedback is just asking, please, don't take these away at the end of the season. You know, and it makes me wonder what the, what the developers could do next. Could there just be ethereals every season? You know, maybe a different set or maybe new ones. Maybe it's uh, seasonal only and it just doesn't exist on the, the regular game. Though there are some people that don't play seasons and I feel as if they should be given the opportunity to try it out. So maybe it could be eventually added in. And I, I was thinking about it in terms because it's something that Path of Exile does. Now, I'm not as familiar with it because I don't play PoE. But to my understanding, when a league gets uh, very popular, a lot of times the mechanics of the league will just be added into the core game. And so if you don't play in a league, you still get to, you still get to delve. You know, delve is just like a permanent part of the game now. And so you can go through and play in like the, the most recent league, uh, which uh, to my understanding has had a lot of controversy in and of itself. But you can you can play in that league and you can still harvest. You can still delve. Like a lot of these previous seasonal uh, bonuses that Path of Exile has run are just core mechanics. Uh, similarly to how the follower update of the last season you know had occurred and is now just a permanent part of the game, it'd be interesting to see Ethereal's come back. Uh, you know maybe uh, in a slightly different form or you can slightly change it up a little bit. But I, I still enjoy the aspect of the Ethereals is that when you see one drop, you largely know what it is that you're going to get. You know that there's a huge power bonus. You can see, oh, that one, oh, that's a grandfather that's like, you know, 300% increased bar damage on barbarian skills and all these other abilities. It's just what legendary property did it roll? What, uh, what passive did it roll? You know, those, those are the things. I already know. I see it drop. I know it's good. 
it's not a red ring. You know, it's like when you see that primal ring drop on the ground, it's like, don't be a justice lantern, please. Don't be a... Ah, shit. It's a primal justice lantern. Uh, you know, and... But you, you see that green beam pop up, and you know that that has the potentiality of being useful. Like, it's within the realm. Maybe not even for your build, but with the new build leaderboards and such, it, you can still go through and maybe try out, you know, well, I want to try, you know, like a Might of the Earth set. Let me go and see what this rolls. Let, let's check this out. I want to go through and do like a whirlwind build or something. So there, there's, a, there's a lot there, um, you know, to, to think about. And I, I really, really do hope uh, that the, the devs listen to the feedback and such and maybe uh, see what they can do as far as making Ethereals a permanent part of the game or maybe a reoccurring theme, you know, in every season, something, something just out there. But the, the core feedback is, is that the concept of these innately powerful items that are relatively rare uh, but have predefined stats and we're not completely leaving it up to RNG as to whether the item is good or not uh, is, a, is a great item concept and should be replicated in the future. That's, that I think is probably something that can sum up the majority of feedback uh, that I've seen from other content creators or communities, forums, streams, and you know things like that. And, and while we're on the topic of Diablo 3, I did also want to go through and point out that there is a, a pretty cool conversation that's going on on Reddit right now. This episode, of course, is being recorded uh, August 18th, you know, uh, and it is the former uh, game, uh, one of the, the former game producers for Diablo 3, uh, Nathan Lutsocks, for which the, or Nathan Lutsock, for which the uh, Lutsocks are named, uh, is kind of doing an AMA where he's going and talking about one of the things that he was in charge of, uh, namely monster design. And there's some uh, pretty cool things. I'll actually go through and I'll link it uh, here in the Twitch chat. And I'll also link it in the, um, the, the YouTube comments when this episode gets posted. Uh, but, you know, there, there's a lot of, like, really cool stories that are going through and talking about monster design. If anybody that's interested in game development itself or the ideas that the designers go through when developing something as simple as, say, monster encounters, it, it's got a lot of... Uh, it definitely pulls back the curtain and allows you to see, like, the, the inner workings in the machines that are going on. Well, one of, uh, one of my favorite ones uh, that he was going through and talking was actually discussing sand sharks. You know, the, the, the burrowing uh, giant, like, lizard-ish things uh, in uh, the Act 2 deserts. Now, I'm going to go through and read, uh, you know, the, the, the quote that he had here. Uh, that when he was going through and responding, he, you know, his AMA was, you know, ask me a question about like your favorite monster and I'll tell you a story about you know, how it came to be or about its development cycle. So this question was about sand sharks and he replied, the sand sharks were an early design for Mark Gibbons, one of the first monsters we discussed after deciding that we would have a desert region. When you consider how a Diablo game works with the camera being where it is and with how heroes are controlled, there are simple and difficult ways to make monsters work. Early on, we were making everything difficult for ourselves, kind of in a good way. We were trying to figure out things uh, that were a pain in the butt and seeing if they were worth the effort. With land sharks, we were trying out things like swimming as well as crawling behaviors in the same creature. Ambush attacks, being untackable in certain states. 
We're also testing out how we can make a long-bodied creature. It's a whole thing and not for Diablo. We tried and failed a lot, and at the time we were, we were iterating slowly, so it was frustrating. Later we tried and failed a lot with fast iterations, which was very satisfying. We wanted to do a, a Tremors type thing where the, sand sh where the Sand Sharks couldn't attack you uh, if you were on the rocks, but that was confusing, hard to implement, easily exploitable. Transitioning between the swimming and crawling was confusing and was ultimately uh, simplified. The creature actually needed a lot of uh, anatomy tweaks in order to work. We added the large claw, claw limbs to improve the swipe arcs. It's not so good if monsters can only attack directly in front of themselves. But also changed the head from a classic shark to a big underbite because the game, the game camera would uh, never allow you to see its mouth. In the end, it's a fairly successful monster. Some designers got crazy making unique name variants, uh, versions with tweaked AI for better gameplay, and we like them even more. But it, from that one, is just like there's a couple of things that they're going through and talking about. Whereas, you know, just like it was where like its original implementation from this probably was like an actual shark, and the, the giant kind of you know, thresher limbs that it goes and adds in were just there basically so it could communicate bigger um, attack arcs instead of just having like a shark bite attack directly in front of it. It increases its uh, threat radius as well as building up like that front body of the monster. In addition to like the whole design implementation of why it has the massive jaws and the underbite is because if it was a regular shark with that massive overbite because of the angle of the camera you'd never see it. And that's just like things where how the game engine is dictating the art and the design of the creatures and the monsters. I felt it was, you know, that was really, really interesting to go and like learn some of the stuff. But I, I highly recommend you go through, take a look at it. There is a, a whole bunch of story. They cover uh, mallet lords, treasure goblins, all these other types of things. So there's a lot of uh, common themes uh, that he talks about, that if you followed some of his other posts, I should mention that this isn't the first time he's done this. He pops up every couple of months and does like a big AMA or like some sort of massive, like kind of like uh, opening the treasure trove and sharing stories about the game development uh, of Diablo 3 because he actually was, you know, a, uh, a producer on Diablo uh, from 2004, I believe, to 2014. 2005 to 2014 i just went and looked at his comment so he was, you know so he was he was on the diablo team you know uh basically i think in one, in one of the previous comments he had mentioned that he joined the team in it during like its transition from blizzard north to blizzard proper and so he was there and it actually saw a lot of the original design content that the uh, the Blizzard North team had talked about, which is uh, going into another story that he shared here. You know the giant chained creatures um, uh, in Mount Ariat or Ariat Crater uh, in Act Three uh, for Diablo Three that you never really get to fight. Well, those are apparently holdovers from uh, a boss that Blizzard North was developing. That you know eventually they took some aspects of it. It was like Blyle, so you had kind of like this giant chained creature where you were fighting on an area with a limited walkway and you could only attack it from uh, like certain areas and such. And that was like kind of like some of those concepts were ultimately kind of like developed into Belial. But the original concept for that creature was very similar to what ended up being those those chained demons, you know, leading up to like Sedea in Act 3. And so it's kind of interesting how they're, because he talks about how they wanted to like reuse as much of like the original content 
that Blizzard North had developed for Diablo 3 and pull as much as they could into the game in some, you know, shape, some form. But yeah, check it out. Really cool read. Uh, I believe he was like actually still answering questions, you know, here a couple hours later. So it's worth worth going in and uh, seeing it. A lot of lot of a uh, lot of neat, uh, cool little stories there. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess the 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 last in the 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 big news, of course, is this previous weekend. Even though I had unfortunately missed it, was the Diablo Two Resurrected closed beta so if you had pre-ordered the game or were lucky enough to get an invite you're able to go through hop in and much like the um, technical alpha from a few months ago it was only act one and two uh, just the base difficulty though they did also add in the um, uh, paladin and druid as playable classes no assassin no necromancer my top two uh, you know uh, so you, you don't quite have the the, the full range to test with though this one from what we were told was primarily just geared towards testing the uh, the multiplayer and battlenet capabilities since it's now being moved over to the you know the new battlenet architecture instead of the the old battlenet servers uh, and just seeing how everything was going and playing and while it was it was definitely rough around the edges there was a lot of feedback of like lag disconnects I believe at one point they actually had to patch and restart the European servers. Uh, due to the uh, the severity of the issues, uh, but it's something that they're at least going through and working on. And uh, Rod Ferguson did also uh, comment on Twitter earlier today that they're that they have taken some feedback and they are going to be implementing some additional fixes before the open beta starts this next Friday, um, August twenty third, which I'll actually have a chance to play on. I mean August twentieth at last until August twenty third. And I'll be I'll be playing in the open beta since I'm not going and pushing around little plastic dudes that I spent like a month and a half painting. Uh, but uh, you know, so far the uh, the majority of the comments and such were were mostly positive. Uh, you know, there there are of course uh, you know still uh, some uh, some discourse in uh, debates over the actual game. You know. It is because it is just the game. You know, they, they've said that they are going to, uh, you know, fix the, what was it? Back at BlizzCon line, they said that if it is, that the their way of looking at bugs uh, in the game was if it is, uh, like, kind of, like, detrimental to the play experience, they, they will consider going through and uh, addressing or fixing. But if it's something that's kind of, like, part of the uh, the game they won't so in in that one you know was um specifically i think like uh the with bug you know and i think like three examples that had come up in response to that question was um the andariel bug which um is staying so you still be able to bug andariel for the the elite drops uh the um melee swing bug uh, which uh, unfortunately is still going to be staying. I hope that one that they uh, will turn around and fix at some point. Uh, and then like the invisible poison gas clouds, which is the one that I specifically asked because that is one of my least favorite uh, memories of Diablo 2. And I'm sure you're probably sick and tired of me talking about it as I bring it up almost every time I talk about Diablo 2. But um, yeah, but since we haven't been able to get to Act 5, we don't know. 
And just like some other things, like, you know, can you make it so that way Anya's portal stays up permanently, even if you take the uh, the Halls of Pain waypoint? Because that one becomes problematic, especially if you want to, say, farm Ubers. Someone has to get the Halls of Pain waypoint, and then that means if they're playing single-player games, they can't... Um, they they can't farm Pendleskin. You know, so it's like... Eh, you know, there, there's some things that just like... Let's just make some like some common sense changes, right? Let's make... Let's make some, some tiny little changes. I would also have advocated for just removing the stamina bar, but hey, that's just me. And a lot of people, including one of the original developers, David Brevik, would want to go through and remove the uh, stamina bar. Um, but I just wanted to repeat that for everybody. Um, get rid of the goddamn stamina bar. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Not salty at all. Many, many hours wasted walking, you know, through Act 1. Never want to do that again. But, yeah. Uh, the open beta is not going to be any different. They're going to be going and patching uh, some uh, some changes or fixes for stability. Um, and there there was definitely, like, the biggest complaint was more just the stability uh, issues. One of the more prevalent ones, I believe, was um, uh, a similar issue that had happened in uh, Amazon's New World. Where the menu uh, menu screens are not uh frame capped and so opening up your inventory or opening up the herodric cube or talking to a vendor or something along those lines would uh just overload your graphics card as it went to go through and try and render those still 2d images uh a million times a second uh but uh you know uh, hopefully that's some feedback that's collected there we can fix those issues maybe not in time for the open beta coming up this weekend uh, so just keep an eye on your your GPU temperatures, uh, and as well as you know the stability issues, game crashes, and things like that. Uh, but also in a, in a commitment at least to the uh, the the game, whether whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing, I'll leave for you to decide. Another one that we did uh, find out recently is the fact that Diablo 2 will not launch with the ladders um, in place. Uh, so when uh, D2R launches, there will be no ladder. There still will be online play. Uh, they have confirmed that ladder-only rune words and items will at least drop in single-player, but we don't know what that means for the uh, non-ladder Battle.net play, which, of course, is one of the biggest draws for people wanting to go through and try out Diablo 2, even if they're not going to go and play in dedicated groups or, you know, go and try and find Bail Run 69, uh, that they'll have, you know, some, you know, some reason to want to go and hunt down your, you know, just what, uh, like Insight, you know, Insight is a ladder-only rune word that's extremely helpful, especially relatively easy to get for leveling characters and such, uh, that helps mitigate all of your mana issues. Uh, there's just there's a, there's a lot of things that might be uh, a little bit better uh, for ladder play after going through and like digging into it and seeing uh, some of the things. I remember having a conversation after the news originally broke, and I was like, ah, oh, that's not too bad, right? It's like who cares if ladder doesn't start within the first couple of months? And one of my friends is like, you know, it loses insight. It's like, shit, you're right. I do care. I do actually care. So I am. I'm going a 180, and I, I do actually now care. 
about you know the the latter not at start i'll live with it obviously i'll live with it uh but i i can understand you know about the the latter not going through at start especially after going and seeing um you know some of the, some of the just the, the connection hiccups and and server lag that was coming with the multiplayer beta uh that you know you know maybe once the, the full game itself launches we might see and get and collect more feedback this upcoming weekend in the open beta cuz anybody and everybody whether you pre-order or not you can go download the game try it out uh, i believe it's also going to be on the the beta is also going to be on consoles so download it on playstation download it on the xbox sorry switch you have to wait till the game launches um you know to go try it out test for bugs and things like that cuz there was another one that was a, a bug that was found uh, with uh, like trading gems that cause like the other gems in your gear to um, like reapply their bonuses. So if you had 60% magic find from uh, like a couple of gems in your helm, and then you open the trade window, traded like a, a chipped gem, uh, when you went and looked at your character screen, it doubled. Uh, but if you also had rubies, it increased your health. And then as you flipped through the character screen, it just kept adding the health bonus up and up and up and up. But then when you looked at your actual health total, it had not increased. And so it was just a visual bug of going through uh, and happening. And it was so it wasn't actually bugged from what could be seen. It, w it was just a visual bug. It wasn't actually bugging out the stats. It was just, of course, the uh, if you if you didn't play the original Diablo 2, the, the character screen was referred to as the LCS. The lying character screen because nothing on it was accurate. The stats don't matter and everything is made up. You know, it, it obviously we would we would hope in D2R that it, the character screen is a bit more accurate, but at least it's staying true to form and not being accurate, right? It's not that big of a stretch. Um. But yeah, I, I'm looking forward. I, I hope to stream at least Friday night uh, for the Diablo 2 Resurrected Beta. Um, Saturday is a maybe, and Sunday is a probably not. Um, I believe I'll be working another overnight Sunday, as well as just like dinner with the family and such. So that's uh, not definitely not going to happen on Sunday. Maybe Monday after after I wake up, um, you know, since we'll, we'll we will still have the beta all day Monday, and um, I've worked the overnight, so like the afternoon and everything will be free, uh, and then Saturday I'm still waiting to to hear back on some other things to see if I'll be uh, available to stream. But definitely, definitely intend to go through and stream the game at least on Friday. I have a, an early uh, birthday gift from a friend. Uh, and a new emote that uh, I need to get a couple more sub points for in order to use. So I, I want to go through and show that off. We sh we we'll see. We shall see. Uh, but with that, you know, it's uh, gonna bring this episode to a close. Uh, I will end on one other thing. Blizzard, where is my Netflix series? Where? It's been months since we've heard anything about it, and I want to know. We've got all these great video game content going through, coming out between like Netflix and Amazon Prime and all these other places. All these different video game IPs that are going and putting out you know, these new animated shows. And 
nothing from the show that's been teased for like the last like three years to have potentially have been in development you know without with that's been confirmed but not confirmed and then the lawsuit and all those other types of stuff who knows who knows uh, but with that, will bring me to uh, close out this episode. Uh, if you uh, if you liked what you listened to, liked what you saw, if you didn't like what you saw, feel free to go through, drop me an email, or give me feedback over at westmarchworkshop at blizzpro.com. Uh, you know, you can also leave uh, comments or reviews on YouTube's iTunes, Stitcher, you know, whichever that you want. Which of course you can also find the stream. I stream every other Wednesday live at twitch.tv/blizzpro at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, as long as my smoke detector doesn't go through and start wonking out on me like right at 8:57 before I go live with the stream. Uh, and uh, you can also catch the show on YouTube. Just do a search for Westmark Workshop. We're hosted by the BlizzPro channel. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, like Spotify, Google Music, uh, your podcasting platform of choice. It's, it's out there and everywhere. Um, you can follow the show for updates on when the show goes live or if there's ever a, uh, I have to change the date for a reschedule over at the WM Workshop on Twitter. Or you can go through and follow me uh, at NineBallGamer on Twitter. Or you can also follow and, uh, find my stream that will be later on this week over at twitch.tv slash NineBall. Uh, but with that, it will bring the episode to a close. I thank you again for coming through, listening to me rant, and I will catch you all next time.